This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. All right, everybody. How we doing? We're all feeling all right. We're all feeling good. The Mets suck. That's the latest. Welcome to another edition of the Mets still suck here on Rico Bronia. They have somehow managed to lose two out of three to yet another crappy baseball team as they lose two out of three to the Cincinnati Reds, they manage in the final two games of this series to eke out a two-to-one victory and then get shut out by the Cincinnati Reds bullpen. By the bullpen, okay? They didn't get shut out by Clayton Kershaw. They didn't get shut out by Garrett Cole. They didn't even get shut out by Nick Lodolo if he actually made this start. They literally got shut down on a bullpen day by the Cincinnati Reds. The Mets have lost many games this season. They are now 18 and 20. If I was going to rank the 20 losses, if I was going to take the losses you understand to the losses that are beyond pathetic, to the losses that sort of piss you off, the finale of this three-game series against the Cincinnati Reds at Great American Ballpark, to me, is an easy number one. This was pathetic. And I sat there and watched half of this game with my old partner, Joe Beningo, because it was an afternoon game. Craig is off. Joe is filling in. And we both got to be disgusted together. But right from the get-go, this game was disgusting. And no, 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 no. I don't even mean Kodai Senga. And we'll spend a lot of time on Senga and Scherzer and Verlander and Peterson and the rest of this decrepit rotation. We will get to that. But here's what kills me about the finale of this three-game series. When Kodai Senga has a very unlucky to bad first inning, in which he didn't give up a lot of hard contact, I'll be the first to admit it, it was a very unlucky inning. But nevertheless, he gave up four runs in the first inning. That's what happened. That's the reality of what we saw. The New York Mets still had eight more innings. They had 24 more outs to attack Derek Law and Blake Lively. I know it's not Blake Lively. Isn't Blake Lively? Who is Blake Lively? Is she an actress or something? Uh, Ryan Reynolds. Uh, That's what it is? Okay. It was Ben Lively. Yeah. I don't know why. It just it is what it is. Lucas Sims, Jimmy Hergett. The Mets had 24 outs to attack that bullpen. And in the top of the first inning, even before Kodai Senga gave up the four runs, the Mets had a chance against Derek Law who's a journeyman reliever, to, I don't know, score some effing runs. Like, this could have been like last year, you know, where Brandon Nemo has a 10-pitch at-bat, works a walk, where Lindor ropes a double up the alley, where Starling Marte has a pulse. And the Mets could have jumped all over Derek Law. And you know what this game could have been? 
and should have been, yeah, Kodai Senga gave up a few runs. Yeah, Kodai Senga gave up a home run. Yeah, it was mediocre. But the Mets could have won this game 8-5. to That's the reality. They should have pounded this garbage pitching they played on Thursday afternoon. Pounded it. So I, I apologize. I'm taking a break from my normal, hey, I've got confidence in the lineup. Hey, it's not their biggest concern. It's pitching, 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 pitching. And we'll get to the crappy pitching. Don't worry. We have plenty of time to bitch until we're done bitching. But what really killed me about this game is how the limp offense did nothing against the entire Cincinnati bullpen. And even the night before when they played game two of this series and Verlander was brilliant, look what the Met offense did. Look what they did. Pete Alonso, it's this bomb of a home run. It was fantastic. Quickly tied the game up because, of course, the Mets were losing in the first inning. Of course, and that's what they do. The 2023 Mets were always losing in the first inning. And then Brandon Nimmo comes through with a very clutch two-out RBI single after Luis Guillorme had a double, and Alvarez had a really good at-bat to draw a walk. And so that was great. Alonzo home run, the rally in the fourth inning. But if you look at the rest of this game, from the third inning where they did nothing, to the fifth inning where they did nothing, to the sixth inning where they did nothing, to the eighth inning where they had a two-out rally and did nothing, to even the ninth inning. In the ninth inning, they are set up. They have the leadoff man on base with the heart of the order coming up, and they did nothing. And luckily, luckily, thank you. Thank you to Justin Verlander, and thank you to Adam Adovino, and thank you to David Robertson, who's been incredible this year. They were somehow able to make two measly effing runs against Hunter Green and a cavalcade out of the Cincinnati bullpen hold up. So I know that I've spent a lot of time arguing with Pete and talking on this pod how it's the pitching, it's the pitching, that's their problem. And by the way, I stand by that. It is the pitching. But over the last 48 hours, I have to call out this garbage. I mean, how can I not? Like, I'm not, I don't have an agenda. I react to what I see. I'm a diehard Met fan like everybody else listening. There's no agenda here. The offense over the last two nights against the Cincinnati Reds was putrid. And too often with this offense, they disappear. They have been shut out more than any other team in Major League Baseball. Now, will they mix in some games where they score six or seven runs? Yeah, they mix those bad boys in. Unfortunately, they mixed it in in the opener of the series, but six wasn't enough because they lost seven six. But the two days that wrapped up this series, one in a win, the other in an absolute downright pathetic showing on a Thursday afternoon in front of 850 people was deeply, deeply concerning. And so we all need to have a conversation. There's that fine line between they're going through a rough patch and maybe they're not that good. And unfortunately, in the middle of May, we're all going to have that. We're all going to have that emotional kind of battle between it's a slump, it's bad. Like the old saying is, you're never as bad as you are when you're slumping. You're never as good as you are when you're hot. But man, oh man, this is tough to watch. And it's tough to watch against bad team after bad team after bad team. So we'll go more into these games. We'll break them down a little bit more. But just a a quick overall state of the crap we're watching. It's deeply concerning. That's the headline. That's my two words, Pete. It's deeply concerning. Print it. Uh, that's going to be the title of this podcast, Deeply Concerning. But I I have to uh, agree, disagree a little bit on some things here. I 
do have faith that things will change for certain players. The problem is it's Pete Alonso, it's Francisco Lindor that are going to turn around and they're going to start performing better. But that's not enough. Like we've sat here now for two years waiting for certain people to explode, to really start adding to it. And they're just never, it's never going to happen. And it's like, I don't want to pile on and say, you know, we just got to blow things up. That's not the case. But I'm tired of what, watching what was built last year and say, oh, well, we're going to bring it back. It'll, it'll be just as good. That's, that's not the case. It's, it's old. It's tired. It wasn't all that good last year. And now we're sitting and watching going, what's wrong? They oh, Some players overperformed. or Some things were better. Like Lewis Guillaume is a great defender, but that's not going to save games this year. We need well, offense. It's well, not the, happening. The problem is right now, outside of David Robertson, who has had just an outstanding season, he has made us, I don't want to say forget about Edwin Diaz, because the truth is David Robertson was signed to be an eighth inning guy. So if Edwin Diaz is Edwin Diaz, and David Robertson is having the year he's having, the Mets have a deeper bullpen, and that's great. But other than David Robertson, everything about this team has not been as good as last year. Like every aspect of it. Uh, offensively, they haven't been as good as they were last year. And the starting pitching is abysmal. I mean, that's just, we got to call it out. Like the starting pitching, even if this was an offense, putting up the numbers of a year ago, right? Let's just say fictitiously, the Mets were in the kind of same ranks they were a year ago. They were fifth in Major League Baseball and run scored. Let's say that was all happening. And Starling Marte was last year's Starling Marte. Say all that was happening. This team would still not be good enough because they can't pitch. Because even, and I guess you could argue I bury the lead on the finale of this series, Kodai Senga didn't pitch well enough. Kodai Senga gave up four runs in the first inning, and I'll give him credit in that he had a clean second, he had a clean third, he had a clean fourth. He gives up the run in the fifth inning, not that it mattered. Four runs, five runs, what the hell's the difference? Tweedledee, Tweedledum, they weren't scoring enough. So I'll give him credit that he was able to give him five innings so the Mets didn't have to go to the bullpen in the first inning as Tommy Hunter was warming up. But five innings, five runs is not good enough. That is not good enough. When David Peterson is called upon to make the start for Max Scherzer, three and a third innings, four runs is not good enough. And we talked about this after the Colorado series with Joey Lucchese. When you go to your bullpen in the fourth and fifth inning, you are naturally going to bring in pitchers who are not good enough. Now, in the case of... The finale again in Cincinnati, Tommy Hunter did a good job. Not that it freaking mattered because the Mets couldn't score any runs. Dominic Leone did a good job. But more times than not, they're not going to do a good job because the underbelly of your bullpen is normally not good. Like for most teams, it's not good. And yeah, last year they had Trevor Williams, and that was a great thing to have. But you cannot live in a world, unless you're scoring runs at an absurd level, like Tampa's put up this year, scoring six runs a game. We all wonder why you can't win that way. And right now the starting pitching is completely utterly unsustainable. Now I'm glad that Kodai Senga pitched and they didn't have to give him five extra days of rest. And I'm glad that Francisco Alvarez caught him because it is becoming painfully obvious for poor pug Showalter. And now he's got no choice because Tomas Nito's got dry eye syndrome and he's on the IL. Alvarez has to catch every single day. Like, we already knew that for a few weeks, but it's painfully obvious. And if Senga struggled because he didn't have a connection with Alvarez, here's what I would say to Kodai Senga. Get effing used to it. That's what I tell him. 
There's a pitch clock. Get used to it. There's a different baseball. Get used to it. Pitching on normal rest. Get used to it. And I'll tell you why you better pitch on normal rest, Kodai, because David Peterson is an abomination. Like, I'm all for giving David Peterson another opportunity. He earned it last year. I can't watch him pitch anymore. So before the Mets get any cute ideas, let's say Max is healthy and Max is able to pitch this weekend. Oh, I got a great idea. Since the Mets don't have an off day, we'll just keep Peterson in the rotation. We'll keep him in so we can give Kodai an extra day. F that. No more extra days. And if he struggles in five days, he struggles in five days. He's got to figure it out. Because right now, you can't afford to pitch David Peterson anymore. Like, I understand why he pitched Tuesday, because Max Scherzer is hurt. Every part of his body hurts, so they have to start somebody. But David Peterson is abysmal. The guy can't throw a first pitch strike. He has no idea where his pitches are going. He is, he's got to go back to the minors. And even when he was in the minor leagues, the one start he made, Pete, he walked like five guys. So it's not like he figured it out down in Syracuse. And I am happy about Francisco Alvarez catching Kodai Sanga. Maybe you give Kodai a, p- a pass today for that. But let's be serious. Would his numbers been so different with Tomas Nito? He's still giving up four runs every every outing. He's still walking four or five batters. Again. Like, it's nothing's changing with Kodai. I'm not saying that if this is all Kodai Sanga's fault. What I am saying is right now he's adjusting to major leagues. It may take him the full year before he becomes amazing or he's just a number three pitcher. Well, I'm not – here's the thing with Senga, because we've seen some good from Kodai. We've seen some bad. He puts too many guys on base. We discussed that after the Colorado game. But the guy went out and threw six scoreless innings. And quite frankly, I don't care how you get there. If you go six scoreless innings, I'd sign for that. I mean, we'd all sign for that in blood right now. Like, who are we kidding? Six scoreless innings? You can walk eight guys in six innings. I don't give a rat's ass. Get me through six scoreless innings. I've seen a lot of good out of Kodai. I've seen a lot of bad. The game against the Reds, the finale on Thursday, was frustrating because I'd admit, he wasn't getting pummeled. There was a lot of bad luck that contributed to that first inning. And he was able to fight through it and give you the second, third, and fourth. And the truth is, if the Met offense had a pulse in this game, if the Met offense hit the red bullpen and would scratch out a run in the first, two in the second, a run in the fourth, we would have looked at Sanga's performance differently. It's true. It's true. Even though we've given up caring about wins and losses, I think we still care sometimes based on how an offense does. Because I, I really mean this. If the Met offense did what I actually thought they would do, we would look at Senga's five-inning five run and say, well, you know what? He got out of that first inning. He settled in. He gave him five. And he, quote-unquote, kept him in the game. That's exactly what we would say. Wouldn't say it's a great performance. I'm not trying to say we'd put him in the Hall of Fame. But we would use that phrase. He kept him in the game. And then the Met offense did their thing. When the offense does nothing, we don't get to say that cute thing. We don't get to say he kept us in the game. We just rip the first inning, talk about his four ERA, and we all move on. Because that's why the finale was a, that was a team effort. That was a team effort of failure. That was, that was pile everything together, and that's failure. Now, as far as some of the other games, let's go to the first game of this series. So we get the Max News, and it started, and we were actually going to do a podcast after the opener of this series. I apologize. There's a lot going home on at the house, at the home. So we kind of have to put everything together today. I apologize. But if you remember going back to Tuesday, the day before that, there's a Mike Puma article that talks about how Max Scherzer's just fighting to stay off the IL. And I was, I got to tell you, I was very bothered by this. 
And I've been accused of being a Max Scherzer hater, that I'm just a jilted DeGrom lover. I don't have any reason to want to hate Max Scherzer, okay? I have reason to hate him right now because he's not pitching well and he's a mercenary and I look at him very cold. I'm sorry, I'm cold-blooded when I look at him. I don't have any emotion towards Max Scherzer. And if you do, you should question yourself, to be quite, to be quite honest with you. I have no idea why you'd have any emotion to a guy that signed here because we gave him $45 million. I appreciate him coming here, but stop, okay? He's a mercenary. And he got off to a great start, and now he's a big failure. So that's my vendetta against Max Scherzer. That's it. Like, if he goes out and pitches great, I'd be thrilled. So Max Scherzer floats out the, yeah, I'm not healthy card. And that's how I took it. I took it as an excuse. He's doing an interview with Mike Puma to basically tell everybody, I'm hurt. Look at me. I'm such a hero for fighting through it. And some gullible Met fans are going to buy it. They're going to say, oh, he's tough. He battles it. He's a gamer. All those stupid cliches that people use. I, it annoys me sometimes. So that comes out on Monday. Then on Tuesday, we start to hear David Peterson's in Cincinnati. So now you put two and two together. Uh-oh, he's hurt. And in the interview he did with Mike Puma, he talked specifically about what the injury was which was the thing behind the shoulder. What's that muscle called? I already forgot. The scapula. The scapula. There you go. Okay, he's got a scapula. Now, we also know he has a sore back. That's how he missed uh, or had a start pushed back before the L.A. suspension. So now David Peterson's in town. Max Scherzer's already floated out an injury. Then he officially gets scratched, and we find out it's not even the scapula. It's not even the back, though I'm sure it all could be related. It's his neck. He's got a sore neck. This guy's got everything wrong with him. Everything, except he's a gamer. He's a, he's a tough gamer. He didn't come here for the money. He came here because he's a gamer and he's tough and he's rough. Oh, I love it. Yeah, the, the gamer didn't pitch. And now the gamer's being pushed back a few days. And when he does pitch, if he does pitch, and he struggles, I battled through it. He fought. He battled. I don't know if I speak for every Met fan when I say this. I know I don't speak for every Met fan when I give my opinion. I'm just giving my opinion. I don't want to hear what the hell's wrong with him. I don't really care. Either pitch, don't pitch, and if you do pitch, pitch well. If you give up six runs in three innings, I don't want to hear about your scapula. If you're hurt, go on the injured list. If you can't pitch, don't pitch. So that's how the series starts. The series starts with Max Scherzer giving us a, I may pitch, I may not pitch. Uh, I think we all lack confidence in David Peterson. He has not pitched well so far in 2023. Like I mentioned, he goes back down to the minor leagues, deservedly so. He makes one start. He's not very good. And right out the gate, like even in the at-bat against India where he strikes him out, he has zero command, zero. And he gives up a double and an RBI single, and he's throwing wild pitches. And then the second thing's a disaster. He walks the leadoff hitter. And you can tell Buck's thinking to himself, am I really going to the bullpen in the first and second inning? Like, what am I doing here? Like, I, how is this sustainable? And it's just, it drives you nuts because the Mets offense does nothing in the top of the first inning. The score now is 34 to 9 and how they've been outscored in the first inning which is bad on both accounts. They don't score any runs in the first inning, and they give up a million. And Peterson was just abysmal. And then Lindor, let's get to him. I'm sorry, let's get to Lindor. Go back to the second inning of this game. The Cincinnati Reds are up one nothing. They've got second and third, one out. 
Jonathan India grounds out. They get a run, and it's 2-0. And this TJ Friedel hits a ground ball to shortstop. Lindor's got to make the play. He's got him. Francisco Lindor, if he is the elite defensive shortstop, we all think he is. And I and I mostly do, by the way. I think he's mostly a tremendous defensive shortstop. He's got to put that ball in his back pocket. It leads to another run. It leads to two more base runners. It leads to a higher pitch count. And for all I know, it could potentially have led to David Peterson getting his ass handed to him in the fourth inning when Buck finally rescued him from the game and went to Steven Nagosik. And the game got worse. And Nagosik wasn't great. And he's given up a two-run double to Kevin Newman. And the Mets are getting killed. And all of a sudden, you look up, and it's 7-1 in the sixth inning. And they start to fight, which I appreciate. You know, Francisco Alvarez hits two home runs, which was great to see. Even though they were both solo home runs, it's still something. It's still a pulse. Pete Alonso hits a home run on an 0-2 pitch, which was impressive. They put guys on base in the seventh inning. And all of a sudden, you're looking at this saying, this could be the signature win. I think Jerry Blevins said it on the broadcast, and I agree with him. Down 7-1, kind of like what happened in Philadelphia. Um, after Nagosik and Peterson struggles, Jeff Brigham comes in and gets a couple of guys out, and it's all set up in the seventh inning. Beatty draws a walk. Marte gets an infield hit, which was nice to see, because even though he didn't have great at-bats, he's busting it down the line. He beats out a single. Daniel Vogelback does what he does best, which draws a walk. And so here they are in the seventh inning of this game. Think about where they are. It's seven to three, and they have the bases loaded and nobody out. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team this is all set up and i've said this way too often on this podcast i hate saying it if this is a year ago we know this plays out differently but it's not a year ago it's 2023 where the mets get outscored 34 to 9 in the first inning and their starting pitchers are lucky to get through four mark Hanna swings at the goddamn first pitch and hits a ground ball to shortstop for a tailor-made no big deal, double play. Run scores, it's 7-4. Now the tying run is not at the plate, and there are two outs. And that was a killer. But it all leads to a moment that I think is fascinating. All right? And that happens in the eighth inning. But before I get to that moment in the eighth inning, let's go back to the fifth inning. Because in the fifth inning, the umpires at Great American Ballpark made an egregious call. They made an absolutely egregious call because in that fifth inning, 
that's when there was a play at second base. And I think it was Will Myers was the base runner, if memory serves correct. Will Myers pulls an A-Rod and sticks his hand up to swap the ball away as a ground ball is coming towards second base. Lindor's trying to make the play. He's coming towards second, and Myers swats at it. Now, we have a couple of issues here. Issue number one is it's not reviewable. That is not the umpire's fault. That's baseball's fault. So we are now in this zone where the umpires have to get the call right. If they don't get the call right, there's no recourse to fix it. Unfortunately for us, and it's the story of our year, they got the call wrong. And because they got the call wrong, and we all saw it, Buck Showalter was given no choice. Buck Showalter has not been thrown out of a game yet as a manager of the New York Mets. But this was his moment. Like, there was... If Buck Showalter didn't get ejected in the fifth inning of game one on an egregious non-interference call on Will Myers, we all would have crucified him. We all would have gone to town on him. So I'm not going to compliment Buck for getting thrown out. I'm going to say he had no choice. There was a terrible call. There was no recourse with replay. So Buck Showalter had to go out there and lose his effing mind. And he did to a degree. I mean, he got ejected. He gave us what they wanted. And as he walked off the field, I thought of Joe Girardi. I'll tell you why. When the New York Yankees won the World Series in 2009, it was not all easy. You know, we hear a lot about the Phillies struggles last year and the National struggles last year. The 09 Yankees did not get off to a great start. In June, they didn't look like a championship team. But there was something. There was a game that happened that sticks out in my mind that turned everything. Joe Girardi got ejected from a game. It was against the Braves interleague play, uh, and the Yankees responded. And Francisco Cervelli hit a big home run. The Yankees won that game. And you could double-check what the Yankees did from that point, but it felt all these years later like it was a clear turnaround. That's what I thought of. I said, all right, Buck's getting thrown out. At the time, it's 5-1, to one, or it's 4-1. to one. So the Mets are behind, but that's where we are in the game. And I thought maybe Buck going crazy here and getting thrown out and Eric Chavez being the manager is going to spark this team. The first thing that was a terrible sign is that TJ Friedel ripped a two-run double. Like on the second pitch, like two pitches after this big argument, he just destroys a double up the alley in right center field. And I'm sighing to myself, thinking, okay, <laughs> I, I thought this would turn everything around. It did not. Now, the reason I jump back to that is because Buck is not managing this game, or at least we don't think he's managing this game. You want to tell me he's texting Eric Chavez or he's calling Eric Chavez? I actually don't buy that. I have become more of a believer a, in managers are rejected than not managing, other than the things that may have been talked about pregame. This guy's not available. That guy's not available. I also don't think GMs manage as much. I, that's that's an old talking point from three years ago. Well, Aaron Boone, he's just uh, he's a, a puppet. Hey, come on. I don't buy that. I don't buy it for a second. Yeah, but that's a different podcast. So I do think that Eric Chavez is managing. But if you want to argue with me about it, I respect it. So let's get back to this eighth inning. Now, remember in the seventh inning, the Mets got closer. It became 7-4, and Mark Canna grounded out with the bases loaded. So now in the eighth inning, Lindor, it's this two-run bomb. It is now a baseball game. Here we go. The Mets are down by a run. With two outs and a runner on first, Starling Marte on an 0-2 pitch, 
comes through with a rip single to center field. Great. Great sign. Fantastic. Daniel Vogelback now draws a walk. And that was amazing to see. I mean, it was a clutch walk by Mr. Walk himself, Daniel Vogelback. And he does this against Alexis Diaz, Edwin's brother, who's now in the game. So it's all set up. The Mets are down by a run. There's two outs in the eighth. It's seven to six. This is the comeback we have been waiting for. And Mark Hanna's due up. Now, here's what the Mets have on their bench. They've got Luis Guillorme. They've got Tomas Nito. They've got Tommy Pham. They've got Eduardo Escobar. I want to be perfectly honest with you. I wanted Mark Hanna up in that spot. I mean, I'm, I'm putting my hands up. I'll take the shots from anybody who wants to say it. He is a professional who just grounded out with the bases loaded and nobody out. He bounced into a double play. I look at my options and I look at Canna and I have to make a decision. The answer is not everybody sucks. That's not the answer. That's a lazy answer. We have to make a decision. We're not just conceding the third out and calling it a day. You are sending up Marcana, which is my choice, or you're sending up any of those four guys I mentioned. So let's play a game. They have this at the George W. Bush Presidential Library. I'm not even kidding you. He's got a game in which they give you a presidential decision. And then you got to decide. Like, you got 30 seconds. Make up your mind. All right, Katrina hits. What are you going to do? All right, Saddam's got weapons of mass destruction. What are you going to do? So it's bases loaded, two outs. You know the situation. Alexis Diaz is on the mound. Canna's 0 for 3. Canna's hitting 218. He just grounded into a double play. That is choice number one. The other options are all the guys on the bench. Now, you watch the game. You know what they did. Pete Hoffman, you've got Guillaume, Nito, Fam Escobar, or letting Canna hit. Go ahead. Your choice. Well, I- I'm just going to say this. I'm definitely not going Guillaume. That doesn't make a difference of what I saw. It's not the second, second uh, Monday morning quarterback. I don't think I'm going Canna either. I'm probably going to go Escobar. Think about what you just said. I know. I but I but I also watched Canna ground to a double play the inning prior and wanted to punch myself in the face, which I might have actually done. So obviously that was a huge moment in this game, and I can't lie and tell you that Mark Canna's having some type of great year. He's not. He's had a terrible season. He's one of the the quote unquote dead weights that the Mets are employing right now. But Eduardo Escobar doesn't play baseball anymore. He doesn't. He never plays. He hit a home run against the Braves on May 1st. This game is May 9th. Since then, he started a game and went 0 for 2, and he started one other game and went 0 for 3. He plays one game a series. He doesn't play baseball anymore. So your decision, which is fine, there is no right answer because they're all wrong answers, is Eduardo Escobar. My answer is Marcana. Eric Chavez or Buck Showalter decided Luis Guillorme is the right answer. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you about this. When you make that decision to send up Luis Guillorme, here's what you're doing. You immediately need to DFA Eduardo Escobar. He's gone. He's off the roster because there is no use for him. Period. There's no use for him. Why is he here? Like Eduardo Escobar's plus is supposed to be his offense. And don't give me the splits. Well, no, but if it was a lefty, he'd be up there. Okay. It's Alexis Diaz. Most pitchers are right-handed pitchers. Most of them. 
you're sending up your defensive specialist with the bases loaded and two outs down a run. So what you announce to the world when you make that decision is that Wardo Escobar is useless and can't be on this roster anymore. So let's start with that. Now, I respect, Pete, that your answer is Escobar. My answer is Mark Hanna. And like I said earlier, there really isn't a right answer because none of them are good options. Like, we all admit that. And by the way, everybody emailed the pod, the RicoBHemail.com. Who do you send up? I'm curious. Like, what's the answer? What's the consensus answer? I say keep Kana. Hoff says use Escobar. The brilliant Mets decided to use Guillaume. We all agree Tomas Nito is not an option. And then you got Tommy Fan. And it sucked. Guillaume struck out. It is what it is. Now, does that end the game? No. There's a bottom of the ninth inning. Or I'm sorry, a top of the ninth inning. You've got Francisco Alvarez coming up who had hit two home runs. You have Brandon Nimmo coming up. You have Lindor coming up. And instead... They went down as meekly as you could. One, two, three. So while it felt like Yorme striking out and Canna grounding into a double play was the game, it turned out to be, they had a chance in the ninth inning. And what made that loss painful is I did think, naively, this could be the game that turns everything around. And it didn't. The next night, Justin Verlander was utterly tremendous. He gives up the first inning run, which drives us all nuts, and did very little else that was bad. He was excellent the rest of the game. In fact, if you look, I'm looking at my scorecard right now. He didn't allow another base hit after the first inning. He issued a two-out walk in the fourth, and that was it. One, two, three, second. One, two, three, third. One, two, three, fifth. One, two, three, sixth. One, two, three, seventh. He even came out to pitch the seventh despite his pitch count being at 91. So I know that this pod has been all negative and maybe we should spend a few minutes on the positive. Justin Verlander was brilliant. And Justin Verlander gives me a little bit of hope that at least they have one guy in their rotation that doesn't completely suck. I, I'm sorry, but that's there's not a lot of hope there. One out of five, one out of six games, we got a good start. It's not. Good oh no! One's saying it's good it's enough, but good he was enough. great. Again, like, I, I got to give him some credit for that. He was brilliant. Yeah, and guess what? Uh, after in game two and three, well, we how many singles do? We, how many hits did we get in game two and three combined? I think it was somewhere like around like eighteen, and I think we had three well, extra base hits, and that to me is the killer of this whole thing. On top of it, we're talking about. They hit the ball. They just know no one's got pop. No one's got power. The same BS that we complained about last year. The problem year. with the second game of the series is they couldn't get a clutch hit because they actually had 10 hits in the game. They just could not put together. Besides Nimmo's RBI single that turned out to be the game winner in the fourth inning, they left 11 guys on base. Like, they left a lot of guys on base in the second game of the series. That's what made it so frustrating. And, and they won the game, and that's great. And kudos to Robertson and Adovino because it would have been, I mean, you talk about kicking the balls. Imagine losing that game. Imagine Robertson giving up a home run in the ninth inning to Jonathan India or something like that. I was I was very nervous about that, I got to be honest. And Robertson's been been flawless, basically, but I was scared. And then I was ready for the people to go with the, I told you, Edward Diaz, the different, you know, we don't need it. We don't need any more nonsense. We have enough as it is. Yeah, we have enough pain. We don't need we don't need the David Robertson kicking the balls. And look, it's going to happen. Like I don't think he's going to have a perfect season. There's going to be that 
blown save. Two things. A, you hope you win the game anyway. You hope the blown save doesn't turn into a loss. And B, you hope it happens at a different time of the year where it doesn't feel like a death knell. Um, but the, the second game of the series was incredibly frustrating. It was incredibly frustrating because of the millions of opportunities that they had. And, and that was the part that was tough. I'll give Guillaume credit, even though it didn't happen when we needed it in the first game of the series as a pinch hitter, he actually got the start in second base and got on base three times. And the one time he made out, he got robbed on a line drive. So it would have been helpful the day before. It's like the Adam Sandler line from the wedding singer. This information would have been better yesterday. It would have been nice if it was yesterday, if we're talking about Wednesday's game. But it didn't happen. It was a win, and it was an important win, and it felt like it was, at least for the rotation, a stabilizing win, but it wasn't for the offense. The problem was, as we talked about to open the pod, the Thursday game was just a nightmare from beginning to end. So the question we all have now is, where the hell do we go from here? Like, is this season going to turn around? Was this rock bottom? You always hope that, okay, this is the worst it'll get. They're 18 and 20. They have been horrendous in this stretch. They are losing series after series after series. It stops now. And I'd love to think it. I'd love to say it. I also know that the Mets are about to face a bunch of lefties in Washington. And we know about their struggles against lefties. They're about to see Mackenzie Gore again. They're about to see Patrick Corbett again. And then for us, pitching-wise, do we know what Tyler McGill is going to be able to do Friday night? Do we know what Joey Lucchese is going to be able to do Saturday? Do we know if Max Scherzer is going to pitch? That's the other caveat. Like, a part of us says, well, Scherzer's supposed to be penciled in over the weekend in D.C. Why would we even believe that? I have no reason to believe that. So we may see David Peterson again. I mean, it's it's on the table because if it's not Max Scherzer, who is it? They have tested the levels of the pitching depth that they once had. And, and I hate to scare people. Once they're done with the Nationals, that's the end of the quote-unquote easy stretch, which has been a nightmare. Then you're staring at the Tampa Bay Rays. Then you're staring at Cleveland, who isn't great, but certainly better than some of the competition they faced. Then you're staring at the Chicago Cubs, who have pitched incredibly well this year. Then you're staring at the Rockies again, okay. Then you're staring at the Phillies and the Blue Jays and the Braves and the Pirates and the Yankees. And so it's a scary time because as much as I try to tell myself you're never as bad as you are when you're bad, just like you're never as good as you are when you're good, it's very difficult not to be full-fledged panicking about what we're watching. So then you get to the question of what can they do? Look, the obvious answer, as we've talked about at nauseum, is calling up Mark Vientos and Ronnie Mauricio. Every day I check the box scores, I get more depressed because all they're doing is hitting. Ronnie Mauricio on Thursday had like three more hits. Both guys have incredibly high OPSs. Mauricio is playing every day at second base, which it makes perfect sense what's going on here. He comes up, McNeil's to the outfield. Whether that's sitting Marcana or it's stalling Marte getting more rest, it's it's a very easy fit. I think there was a time earlier this year when Mauricio had a big spring training where we had a tough time figuring out where he was going to fit. It ain't that complicated right now. It's become a lot easier. You know, assuming Marte isn't hurt, and I'm still committed to running him out every day. You know, I'm not burying Starling Marte 
We're a month plus into this season. He had a great year last year. If he's hurt, sit him down. If he's not, you're going to run him out every day. The guy I think we're more likely to not run out every day is Mark Hanna. And if you're not running Mark Hanna out every day, it allows Mauricio to play second base and Jeff McNeil to play the outfield. Vientos' spot is easily DH. So I think the roster moves, because that's always been the difficult decision of, okay, how do you make it work roster-wise? I'll tell you the answer. It ain't that complicated anymore. I think the Mets made it very clear in the opener of this series that Eduardo Escobar doesn't have a role on this team. He doesn't. He doesn't have a job. The Mets have given up on him. Brett Beatty is the everyday third baseman, and they don't even trust him. Granted, it's as a lefty. They don't even trust him to pinch hit instead of a defensive specialist like Luis Guillorme. Escobar's got no role with this team. DFA him and get him over with. I was never one to be in a rush to DFA Eduardo Escobar. I think I've been very patient with him, but I'm reacting to the actions of this team and the actions of this manager. If you don't trust him in that spot on Tuesday, it's over. DFA him. Here you go. That makes room for Vientos. Guillaume still has options. Uh, we've talked about this before. Mauricio becomes your backup shortstop in case of emergency. And he goes down to the minors and Mauricio's on the team. And there you go. Those are your two roster moves. It's not that you don't have to cut everybody. We're not cutting Canna and Vogel back. We're not cutting all these guys. You need a roster. You got to fill out a major league roster here. Right? We're not getting rid of everybody. But if you're asking me, how do you make it work? Those are the two guys that make the most sense to go. One guy has options. The other guy doesn't have a role on this team because the manager doesn't even want to use him to pinch it with the bases loaded. And that's what they can try. And we're getting closer to them having to try it because the kids are earning their right here. That's the other, like they've earned their trip here. And when you combine that with the failures that we're talking about, there's no other real change you can make. So we're getting closer to that day. Well, that's great. I'm glad that we fixed the offense. Now, what the hell are we going to do? There's the nothing. Pitching? No, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be blunt with you. There is no answer. Like, there really isn't. There, there's no way. The, the only way to fix the pitching is the guys who are being paid the big money have got to be better. Now, with Verlander, I'll take a leap of faith and say he's healthy. He's made two starts. He looks fine. I think we could all admit that Verlander has looked very sharp in the two starts he's made. As long as the Mets can keep him out there every five days, that's fantastic. They got to get Max Scherzer healthy. They got to Co- get Kodai Senga just pitching every five days. And then you hope McGill and Lucchese can keep you in games, and that's your rotation because, Pete, there's nothing coming to help. All right, so I don't disagree, uh, but there's a couple things that I'm a, I'm a little upset about. Bullpen-wise, first of all, I, I I know you can't. You're relying too much on your bullpen arms because you don't have the starting pitching. But I'm done with Tommy Hunters of the world. I I know that you don't care about that. You have to have these. Not every guy's going to be a stud in the bullpen. But I'm sorry, I'm sick and tired of Yucca Bone is coming in. Like Ken Giles is 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 pitching, dude. Go go pick a flyer on him rather than a, a, a almost retired Tommy Hunter. Make a trade, and I know that you hate this, but Luis Guillorme, you're right. He's got options. But does he have value somewhere? You have the same player in Danny Mendick that you do in Luis, Luis Guillorme. If there's value somewhere that someone looking for a defensive specialist, yeah, try to the, trade okay, so for an arm. Ken do Giles, something. I've got no issue with. Like I, Zach Britton, guys who you're bringing in on low-risk deals, fine. Like I can't expect much out of Ken Giles. He's only pitched four innings in the last three years. 
So I'm not going to be naive to think he's going to make a big impact, but I'm not going to argue that. Of course it makes sense. Look, the Mets just did it. I know it's not with a pitcher, but they just did it with Gary Sanchez. Like there's no risk in signing Gary Sanchez. There isn't. I, I know he wasn't hitting in Sacramento in AAA San Francisco and he opted out and now he's here and he got off to a great start. His first game on Thursday, I think he went two for three, hit a home run. So he's inspired to be back in the New York area. Bring him up. <laughs> Bring him up. Bring him up. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I, it's so funny. So just to, to put an end to what you said. Yeah, of course. Bring in any veteran arm uh, who's a free agent. There's no trade to be made right now. Very unlikely to, for there to be a trade to be made in May and June. Now it happens, but it's rare. So if your idea is, hey, can you use a Luis Guillorme to get a competent reliever? Sure. If that's out there, I'm not sure that's out there. So I think the idea of bringing in somebody who's doing an audition like a Ken Giles or a Zach Britton, sure. I mean, of course, there's nothing wrong with that. In terms of what they have in the back of their bullpen right now, it's the same kind of five, six guys who have been shuttled between Syracuse and the major leagues. So if you don't want Tommy Hunter and you don't want Dominic Leone, you're just going to end up seeing the same guys. Okay, Denny Reyes is back. And that's what we're looking at. The, the, the part of the bullpen of Adam Ottavino and David Robertson and Drew Smith, I'd even argue Jeff Brigham. I think Jeff Brigham has been pretty good. That part is going to stay constant. The rest of it's always going to kind of fluctuate. As you need arms. You know, Jimmy Yacobonis just went on the IL. Yeah, really. I'm sure he went on the IL. Well, whatever. They just needed to not, because he had no options left. Like Jimmy Yacobonis had no options. So when the Mets wanted to add the pitcher to replace Scherzer without putting him on the IL, they didn't have a lot of possibilities. Like Dominic Leone doesn't have options either. Steven Nagosik doesn't have options. So they're all going to be here. I think Brooks Rayleigh coming back is going to also help. Actually having a lefty out of the bullpen. But... Dude, we're talking about guys that in general aren't good. Like you need your back of the bullpen to be good. But if you're asking your bullpen to come in in the fourth and fifth inning every single night, like what team has great arms coming in in the fourth inning on every night? No, and I get that. But you know what, though? And again, I'm going to I'm gonna actually call out Billy Epler for being a little bit, um, I don't want to say stubborn, but almost content. Like he was like, he was content with the fact that he thought this team was good enough to win the same way they did last year. Andrew Chafin was sitting out there waiting to be picked up. There's you, 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 you love the lefty I, bullpen arm. Hey, yeah. guess what? There was another guy sitting there to bring in. No, no. And we didn't do it. And, and I promise you, I forget the exact date. We're going to do this. We are going to do a podcast reevaluating the entire off season. But it doesn't do us any good right now. No, you're right. I get that. I get that. I get and that. I promise we will do it. We will go through all the bullpen arms they missed, the starting pitching options that they missed, and we will rip Billy Epler a new ass. But right now, like, here are your options. Like, I'm going to tell you right now. Zach Merkenhern, who was up here for five minutes, he's an option. Edwin Yuseta, who was up here and made one good appearance, he's an option. Denny Reyes is an option. Dennis Santana. Remember Dennis Santana? Remember him? He's yeah. an option. Jose Budo is an option. John Curtis is an option. Those are all of the names that if you want to get rid of Tommy Hunter, which I get, I'm not defending any of these schmucks, all right? 
And I apologize for saying schmucks. They're all wonderful people. I'm talking about how they're pitching. All right. And they're all major leaguers. Thanks for being a major leaguer. They're great guys. They just pitch schmucky. Yeah, that's it. That's I'm sure they're all great guys. <laughs> if you want to replace any of them, those names I just mentioned who have all been here, those are the replacements. Right? Unless you're going out shopping. And right now, it's not the time to shop. If there's a surprise trade, you know, the Mets could use that Colin Holderman. What's he up to? Is he available? <laughs> I think he's got like nine holds right now in Pittsburgh. It's great. I mean, his name is Colin Holderman. What do you expect? Colin Holderman. Hey, by the way, I just want to say something about Max Scherzer, and I got to get this off my chest because I know he hates stealing money right now. I know that he wants to go out there and pitch. He wants to be effective. He doesn't want to just go in the IL and steal money. Well, my friend, if you suck ass the way you've been sucking for the past eight starts, when this season ends, you best be opted out and don't steal our money next year. I don't <laughs> want to see your face ever again. Here's the problem. Right? As much as I'm angry at Max and you're angry at Max, Mets need Max Scherzer. Let's just call it like it is. They need him. Even if he's not the same dominant guy he was in Washington or briefly in L.A. or in Detroit, they need a competent Max Scherzer. Like if you told me right now, Max is going to make every start or just about every start every five, five, six days, and he's going to be a six-inning, three-run guy, which, by the way, is a four-and-a-half ERA, I'd sign for it. Because right now, that's what we're looking – that would be such an upgrade over the kind of pitching they have right now. One real quick thing just to put an, um, an end to the Gary Sanchez discussion. I didn't know about Tomas Nito's dry eye syndrome. None of us did. We all just thought he was terrible offensively. And I have noticed his pitch framing stats are not that good. That's why Alvarez has sort of made the Mets look bad that they took so long and that their big hesitation was defense when we're watching him every day. And he certainly looks competent. He really does. And he's getting better offensively. So again, there are no positives from this dreadful season, but if you're searching for them, Francisco Alvarez is playing every day. He's looking like a competent major league player. He's getting better offensively. He's really good defensively. That, that is a great positive. It really is. Uh, Brett Beatty's playing every day and it was cooled off. That's a great positive. When they signed Gary Sanchez, I really thought Billy Epler's doing a favor to a former Yankee farmhand. Obviously, Billy spent a lot of time in the Yankee organization. And why not for the minor leagues add catching depth? With Michael Perez here, and a reminder, Michael Perez, really? If Gary Sanchez truly is improved defensively, and that's what I've heard. I've heard that that last year in Minnesota, he was improved defensively. Even in the minors, he's improved defensively. And he's just competent defensively. He doesn't have to be, you know, in the top 95 percentile of pitch framing. If he's competent defensively, why wouldn't he be here? Like right now with Michael Perez, and we all know what he is, as your backup option, Gary Sanchez, a guy who's proven he can hit in the major leagues. Why wouldn't he? So I... I would not be surprised, Pete. He's in AAA right now. He had a good first day. If he has a good couple of days, I think he could be up here pretty quickly. And that is, you know, as a New York sports talk host who has talked a lot about Gary Sanchez over the years, that would be psychedelic to have Gary Sanchez on the New York Mets major league roster. I must admit. The, cr the Kraken, dude. Listen, and I know how terrible he's been as a New York Yankee, but again, we over, you know, overemphasize that he's going to be a 40 run home run hitter and stuff like that. His bat still is better than Tommy Pham 
than freaking Tomas Needle, Michael Perez. I mean, he adds an actual element from a DH from a catching standpoint. Yeah, I mean, that'd be amazing. And I think it's I think it's on the table. I gotta tell you right now, like I think that when they first signed him, I laughed at it. And I said to Craig off air, I was like, he'll never see the major league Mets. Like, I just don't see how it happens. But when you combine Nito's on the IL, which obviously I didn't see coming, it kind of makes sense. Like, well, why the hell not? Would you rather have him up here or would you rather have Michael Perez up here? But what I did like is that day game after night game, we still saw Alvarez catch. So we didn't see the excuse of, oh, let's get Michael Perez out there because it's a day game after night game. I, I will say this much, though. I was watching the first inning or two, and after like the first four runs were given up, eh, Alvarez looked like he was a little tired, like he was like a, a catcher in like a, um, a little league. Like, all right, uh, what, what are we doing here, Kodai? Could you get it's, the ball over the plate? <laughs> it's not easy, man. I mean, kind of putting the uh, tools of ignorance on every day is not easy. There's a reason why catchers sit day games after night games. Uh, let's get to some of your angry emails. Obviously, we're all panicking. We're all pissed off. A lot of angry people. Let's start with Bill. Bill writes, hitting approach. Love the show. I know starting pitching is our biggest problem. But for now, we are stuck with what we have, which he's right about. But there are two things that have been sticking out to me more than anything else this year regarding the Met offense. I'm sure both reasons are related to each other. But first, the strikeout numbers seem way up. Secondly, Second, last year, the Mets used to battle other teams starting pitcher. It seemed like the other team starter threw around 20 to 30 pitches in an inning. This year, it seems like other team starters are throwing about 12 to 15 pitches in an inning. Is this team sitting approach that much different this year? Are they pressing too much? An extra point that's driving me crazy. Francisco Alvarez does not take off his catcher's mask when trying to catch a pop-up. Otherwise, love the kid. So the other day, he didn't do it, and it saved him because he ran into a camera. Like, he was trying to make that play. And his head went into the camera. And if he didn't have the mask on, God knows what would have happened. So he probably should be taking the mask off. But in that case, it saved him. Um, so as far as the strikeouts are concerned, the Mets still do not strike out. That is a true thing. The Mets do not strike out that many times. In fact, here are the numbers coming into the finale against Cincinnati. The New York Mets have struck out the second fewest times in the National League. Now, striking out a few amount of times does not guarantee offensive success because the team that has struck out the fewest amount of times in the National League, the only team ahead of the Mets, the Washington Nationals. So I know the Astros have done a great job over the years of being a low strikeout team, and I don't think it's a coincidence that putting the bat on ball, especially in October, is a big deal. You'd rather have a team that's more contact-oriented. But it doesn't guarantee you anything. In fact, the bottom three teams in Major League Baseball in fewest strikeouts are all offenses that are struggling. The Washington Nationals have the fewest strikeouts. They're only averaging a shade over four runs per game. We told you about the Mets, who are second, 4.2 runs per game. And then the team right above the Mets, the Cleveland Guardians, who are only scoring 3.4 runs per game. So that hasn't been the issue. The issue is guys aren't getting hits. Like, the Met team batting average is way down, and you could look across the board. Like, Brandon Nimmo was having a really good offensive year. He was hitting over 300. Francisco Lindor's batting average has dipped. Jeff McNeil's batting average, especially for a guy that won the batting title, has dipped. Pete Alonso, despite the power surges, averages way down. Starling Marte is hitting for a very low average. 
you just have a lot of low batting average. They're not getting a lot of base hits. Uh, last year, one of their big issues was they didn't hit for a lot of power. The Mets' power this season has been average. The average amount of home runs a team has hit this year is 42. The Mets were at 41. So their power isn't incredible. It's not through the roof by any stretch, but it's not at the bottom of the league. Last year, by the way, just to give you context perspective, that's what really matters. The Mets hit 171 home runs. It was also slightly under the league average. And they were in the bottom half of the league in home runs. So their power numbers, to be fair, are not much different from a year ago. They're actually very similar. The difference is, a year ago, the Mets hit 260 as a team. This year, their batting average is down about 25 points. And remember, baseball's batting average in general is up. So are they not working the counts as much? Um, I don't think by design. I think guys just aren't hitting. So I, I disagree. I don't necessarily think it's a, an approach issue. Benji Horowitz ri- writes, I'm sick and tired of the anti-Vogie hatred. Ooh, how about this? All he does is get on base is like saying about a pitcher, all he does is get outs. We get it. He's a flawed player, no question. But that's enough. He does the most important thing as a batter better than 95% of players. The goal is to not make an out, and he rarely does. He then provided some numbers. Amongst DHs with 80-plus plate appearances, he ranks 7th in OBA, 7th in weighted runs created plus, 2nd in on-base percentage, 11th in OPS. Pick on someone else. He's the least of their issues. Go ahead, Pete. Okay, first of all, I will for the money he's making, that's all great. He's making $1.5 million. That's amazing. Those statistics are amazing. However, when you look at the lineup as a whole, we need a power hitting DH. He does not provide that. He provides someone who can get on base. That's great, but that's that's one skill set that he has. Once he gets on base, he's almost obsolete. Running from first to third the other day, my kid was laughing at him. It was It's not a pretty sight. He's got no speed. If you could sub him out and put in Tim Castro's speed, that's great. But he's not that. It's good to have some money, but he can't be stationary. And he doesn't hit enough. Yeah, he's so I, he doesn't. I think the problem with this debate is, and I, I sort of get caught in the middle sometimes, because sometimes I'm like a Vogie defender, but I also understand his flaws, which is that he needs to hit for more power. He is not the Mets' problem necessarily. He's just not good enough for what they need at the DH spot. Like, all those numbers are fair. And, like, watching him every day, he absolutely gets on base. And I think in a perfect world, would I have his battle off the bench? Yeah. I'm not a DFA Vogelback kind of guy. That doesn't make any sense. Anyone who says he stinks, you're not, you're not right when you say that. Like, you could, I guess you could say anybody stinks. But he doesn't stink. He's just not good enough for what they need out of the DH spot. But 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 that's the point, though. You have a lot of guys that are not good enough to be what we need. So if you keep them all around, we just have a bunch of guys that are like, okay, one-dimensional. Well, but, but, we but wait better a second. Players. Mark Canna this season stinks. Starling Marte this season Terrible. stinks. Daniel Vogelback doesn't stink. He's just not good enough. And... I think what hurts him, and we talked about this once before, his body says he's a power hitter, and he doesn't hit for enough power. 
And I, I like walks. Walks are important. I, I thought his walk the other night could have been epic if the Mets were able to come through with a big base hit. Like, he drew two huge walks that loaded up the bases. He did. Like, I, I can't say that isn't a big deal, but it would have been nice if on a 3-1 pitch he ripped one up the alley, but he drew two big walks. The problem was the guy after him couldn't come through. Evan, he could walk all day. Just hit it out of the ballpark while you do it. That's it. Hit a home run and walk around the bases. I don't care. (laughs) I understand. Oh, boy. Jimmy Kearney's pissed off. His uh, subject line was, quote, and this is a curse word, so I warn you, shit the bed. (laughs) Yes. Evan and Pete, going going into the season, the organization and fans both knew starting pitching was compromised. Quintana went down early in the spring. Verlander went down a few days before opening day. Peterson and McGill were supposed to be six and seven starters. An injury to Carrasco shows his terrible start to the season. What could we expect? But great news. Carrasco's on the mend and will be back soon, just in time for Scherzer to take his turn on the IL. If the Mets had two stud starters in AAA throwing shutouts and overpowering the competition, they'd have been here weeks ago. But they don't. So there's really nothing more the Mets can do with the starting pitching besides hope guys get healthy and at the very least get some depth from the rotation spot. I mean, by the way, spot on, like that's the one thing. That's why we always go back to Mauricio and Vientos because there's something you can do, even if that's not their biggest issue, their biggest issue is pitching. And as Jimmy pointed out, and we've pointed it out, maybe not as eloquently as Jimmy, they don't have options. Anyhow, he continues. The offense is putrid. The Mets can, but refuse to try and fix it. They don't have the AAA pitchers, but they do have the offense in AAA. The Rico has covered the several ways to fit Mauricio and Vientos on the roster, but it shouldn't even matter how. It's a necessity. If they shit the bed, fine. The offense couldn't be any worse. And Pete, while I totally agree with your stance on Vogelback, take a look at his numbers versus Jeff McNeil so far. With nearly half the plate appearances, they have the same number of walks. Vogelbach has put up better numbers with half the ABs. So I can no longer support Vogelbach being removed from the DH spot. Nothing to do with advanced stance. I just can't be hypocritical about it. I want McNeil in the outfield and Guillaume at second base. I've seen enough of Marcana. Perhaps the best defensive second baseman in baseball is Mets bench player Luis Guillaume. I'm a big proponent of players' numbers being distorted by inconsistent playing time. Guillaume had a four- to six-week run of playing time every day last year and hit nearly 300. Is it a sexy idea? No. But until Mauricio is called up, Guillaume battles at the plate and gets his hits. And if he winds up playing the season at second base, he can stuff the gold glove in his back pocket. That might be a meaningless trinket to the fans who want a championship, but I'll take any accolades that come this team's way if the season gets flushed down the toilet by July 1st. <laughs> Jimmy K, a couple of things there. Your thoughts? First of all, Jimmy K, I appreciate – I understand people love Vogelbeck. That's great. That's fantastic. And I love that they he walks a ton. But if you're going to sit there and tell me that Daniel Vogelback walking compared to Jeff McNeil who gets hits, he makes – contact and when there's bait people on base i need someone to drive those runners in which is why a base hit is more important to me than a walk i get it vogelback's got a great eye but i've also seen a lot of times where vogelback will sit there and watch strike three because the ball the bat doesn't come off the shoulder uh as far as gourmet i'm sorry 
that's Mauricio's spot now. Once once Mauricio gets called up, he's taking over second base. Yeah, I I, I kind I mean I agree with you at this point. I, I don't think that there's so much risk to just calling the kid up who's been playing second base and say just go play it and go hit. Because if he hits enough, even if his defense is shaky at second base, you'll find a way to keep his bat in the lineup. You just will. Adam Menson is the last email. And we do appreciate all the emails to RicoP at gmail.com. I thought it was important to read a few because obviously it's a tough time for us as Met fans. We're all depressed. We're all scared. We're all miserable. We're all angry. We're all turning on each other. We're all trying to come up with ideas to save the season. When the truth is, the only thing that could save the season are the guys that are already there. And they just got to get their heads out of their asses. Uh, Adam Menson writes, how close are we to considering a trade for a player like Patrick Corbin? He has been decent for six plus weeks, going six innings almost every start, and obviously makes a ton of money. If we pay just a portion, I'm sure the Nats would love to deal him. I don't love paying him anything in 2024, but this team needs innings. Maybe he is the fifth starter next year or even plays the Trevor Williams role. If not Corbin, who else? If I'm Epler, I'm looking for an overpaid vet who won't cost me real prospects. Uh, so here's the deal with Patrick Corbin. He is signed for two more years. He's making an absurd amount of money. He to, to Adam's point, here's what Adam's right about, and you may not even realize this. He has shockingly pitched well. Patrick Corbin a year ago had one of the worst seasons you'll ever see. And that was following another season in which it was one of the worst seasons you'll ever see. So really, since the World Series of 2019, I'll throw 2020 out, weird season. In 2021, he had a 5.82 ERA, and last year he had a 6.31 ERA. To his credit, he made every start. I, I mean, I hate to give him that, but he made every start. So far this year, his numbers are not good. They're one in five with a four eight seven ERA. But Adam's right. If you take a look at what he's done recently, it's not half bad. Against the Giants the other day, six innings, three runs, two earned. That'd be a top five Mets start this season. His start before that against the Chicago Cubs, seven innings, two runs. Not bad. His start before that, not quite as good, but five and a third innings, three runs. That was against the Pirates. His start before that, six innings, three runs. His start before that, six innings, four runs, two earned. No denying he has pitched considerably better. He's actually going to face the Mets over the weekend, so the Mets will take a look at him. I think the problem here is the contract. And as much as we don't think Steve Cohen cares about like paying big time money for players. It's very difficult to rationalize paying for a guy who is what we just described, which is a guy who's coming off two horrifically bad seasons. Yes. He's pitched better recently, but the best case scenario is he's an innings eater at the back of the rotation. Patrick Corbin makes $24 million this season. If you think that's bad, Patrick Corbin makes you ready for this. $35 million in 2024. So the only way something like this would work is if the Nationals are paying an enormous amount of this contract or if they're attaching it to something very appealing. And, and right now, look, the Juan Soto trade was, was over a year ago, and I know that was a rumor at the time, like, hey, the Mets could offer to take on Patrick Corbin 
does that kind of lessen what they'd have to give up for Juan Soto? Too little, too late. I look at the rest of the roster. Uh, Joey Manessis, I, I don't know what he is. He was really good for a small part of last year. You want Dominic Smith back? He's done nothing. He's got no power anymore. So I don't think there's anything along with Corbin. So you'd really need them to just eat a big part of that contract. You would, they would never do it, but their pitching staff is actually some somewhat decent. Josiah Gray, Mackenzie Gordon. You're right. They're never going to do it. So this is, this is over yeah, the top. Those guys but are that, being but, traded, but, but that's what you'd have to look at. Like I would gladly take Strasburg's contract on top of Patrick Corbin to get one of those guys. Seriously. Well, that's now. Now you're talking about an eight hundred million dollar payroll. If you're doing that, <laughs> oh wait, but does, does does do we get pitching depth, which we don't have right now? We have we have nothing. Yeah, Strasburg, I can't touch because he doesn't actually pitch. Like Patrick Corbin, to his credit, as bad as he's been the last two years, he pitches. Like he literally takes the baseball every five days, and you know, recently he's been better. I, I would be definitely afraid. I think his track record is so bad over the last two plus years. That, I mean, the Nationals have to pay every dime. I got to. I don't even know if I would pay that guy, you know, eight million dollars a year because he had a six ERA last year. As it's terrible. As improved as he's been this year, I kind of agree. Now, to your point about the Nationals, Mackenzie Gore and Josiah Gray give them this young one-two punch that they can build around. We're not getting that. Like they're not going to attack. First of all, they would be idiotic to attach a good young player. To Corbin's contract. Now you want to attach a veteran that's not a part of your future. That's a little bit different. Like they're going to attach Hunter Harvey out of the bullpen. Who's like a sort of veteran reliever. Okay. I mean, the Mets could use him. You were just talking about needing bullpen help offensively. I mean, look at their roster. Uh, CJ Abrams. No, but he's a, no, he was the key to the, 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 the trade. No, Jamie Candelario. <laughs> no, he's hitting two sixteen. Uh, Alex Call, Lane Thomas, Joey, Man- Joey Manessis would be the guy they probably wouldn't give a rat's ass about because he's 31 years old. He finally got to the majors last year. I just don't know how good he is. But even that, bro, like the Nationals would have to pay almost all of that contract. He's making $35 million next year. Like what? What? But, but I will say this. Uh, who sent the email? This is Johnny K. Who, who sent this one? Uh, this email was sent by Adam Menson. Adam. You're on the right track. Like, you got to look at Oakland. I don't think they have anybody that they're looking to get rid of or that it's worthwhile. But maybe Chicago White Sox. You're, were they, was that your pick to win the World Series, by the way? Yeah, it went like, well, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, go look at Chicago White Sox. See what they're selling off. I don't think St. Louis is going to sell anytime soon. But those are the teams you have to start looking at. Be like, yeah, but Lance Lynn, Giolito. But, Pete, you're right. Like, you're right about that. It ain't happening in May. The Mets have to figure out a way to right the ship. Now, what we have going for us is, as Aaron Boone says, it's a long-ass season, number one. Number two, there are a lot of teams that make the playoffs. And I don't know how good the – after you get past Atlanta and L.A. and San Diego, and obviously someone wins the Central, the league is flawed. So the Mets have time to fix it. That's – I guess the beautiful part about the era we live in now, if this was 1962, the season would be over. Let's be honest about it. It would just be, it's too late. You can't recover from this. So there's time to recover, but it's got to start now. This stretch of games has been an absolute nightmare, and I feel bad that we even said on the Rico, hey, over the 13-game stretch, would you be happy with eight and five? Just to give you an update, this 13-game stretch that we talked about, 
which started against the Detroit Tigers. So far, they are two and seven in the 13 game stretch. Two and seven. So if the Mets somehow swept the Nationals of all four games, they would finish that 13 game stretch six and seven, which we would have been very upset about a few weeks ago. Now, if they go six and seven, some may say it's the greatest six and seven in the history of baseball. <laughs> you like that? Yeah. I do like that. I like that spin. By the way, you are we sure we know who's pitching in the in, in the national series? Because all I saw was TBA, 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 TBA. So here's what I do know. Uh it will be Tyler. Max Scherzer can fit in wherever they want. Like if Max Scherzer's feeling good, yeah, he could pitch Friday, he could pitch Saturday. I am not expecting that, by the way. I don't think Max is even going to pitch in this series. I think he's going to end up on the IL. So, assuming they keep guys on their days, Tyler McGill would pitch Friday against Mackenzie Gore. Joey Lucchese would pitch Saturday against Trevor Williams. The Scherzer day or the David Peterson day would be Saturday. And then Sunday would be a showdown between... Actually, hold on. Let me make sure I'm reading this right. Because remember, it's a four-game series. They play on Monday. They play on Monday. Yeah, yeah, so it's Friday, McGill-Gore. Saturday, Lucchese-Williams. Sunday would be Peterson or Scherzer. And then Monday, the wraparound game would be Justin Verlander against Patrick Corbin. And then Kodai Senga would pitch the opener against Tampa Bay. So that's the rotation. Max could fit in anywhere. And then everybody would be pushed back a day. Make Make sure the scouts come out on Monday. Yes. Come on out. We got to, we got to eye Patrick Corbin. That's for sure. Uh, I think we'll do the same thing we did a couple of weeks ago with this being a wraparound series. I think we'll do a pod after the second game on Saturday. So we'll kind of regroup with a Saturday night, the Sunday morning pod talking about the first two games against Washington state of the team. And then we'll let Sunday go. Cause there's another game on Monday. And then we'll do another Rico Bronia Monday after the four game series is over. And then the Mets come home and they have a home stand against Tampa Bay and Cleveland. I would tell every Met fan to put your chin up, but it's tough right now. It's a tough time. It's a very, very tough time. And I'm trying to remain optimistic, but I don't know, man. It sucks. It all sucks. We appreciate you listening. We appreciate you downloading the podcast, interacting at the Rico B at gmail.com. To be a Mets fan, to be a Mets fan. Thanks for listening to Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.